You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've got a Bible, let's grab it. Acts 13. Acts 13. I thought I'd bring in one of my favorite Christmas presents just before we got started. I don't know about you, but I love this. The Guinness World of Records. I mean, I don't know. There's something special about it. Every I got it in my stocking this year. There you go. Absolutely love the book. I guess I just find it mind-blowing and fascinating what human beings get up to. I read about the Russian that can jump 11 and a half feet on a pogo stick. I mean, suddenly you're not going to give one of those to your kids at Christmas. I read about the American that can cover 100 meters on a space hopper in 38 seconds. I read about the German that can do 50 metres on his hands on roller skates in 8.5 seconds. I read about the Welshman, a guy called Ash, who can control a football with his feet on the roof of a car for 93 seconds. I'd quite like to have a go at that one. I read about the guy who can balance a guitar on his forehead for 7 minutes and 39 seconds. I read about the Italian who can do 36 pull-ups using just his pinky fingers. Oh, respect there, isn't there? I read about the lady who shot an arrow the furthest using only her feet. Over 40 feet she fired that arrow. I I love this book. (laughs) I think it's amazing commitment, energy, skill, patience and... To quote Roy Castle, thank you, Vincent. (laughs) Dedication. There used to be a program, and the song was, if you want to be the best, if you want to beat the rest, dedication's what you need. I guess it gets me thinking, what are we dedicated to? I don't know in a new year or a new decade what you're dedicated to. New Year's resolutions, have you given up on those because you think I'm going to break them? Goals, do you have a goal? Even if you don't have a goal or a New Year's resolution, the reality is in this next year, in this next decade, you will have a priority whether you choose it or not. It's what do you give your time to? What do you give your money to? As a church redeemer... I believe that we are on a mission. This is undertaking a task that we consider to be very important duty. And we're going to read about it from the book of Acts that I hope will stir and challenge us. So if you've got a Bible, Acts 13, verse 1, and I'm going to read 12 verses. In my Bible, it says Barnabas and Saul sent off. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed... They placed their hands on them and sent them off on Cyprus. The two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit. 
went down to Seleucia and, start, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting, sorry, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. The book of Acts, basically following the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, the risen Jesus encourages his disciples before going into heaven, his final recorded word to write at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus gathers the disciples and says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and that really is the story of Acts. So if you had to chop Acts up, Acts 1 to 12 is really the story of Peter taking the gospel. And you can find about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Acts 13, if you wanted to cut the book up, is the hinge of the whole book of Acts. Because suddenly the story changes from Peter and it changes to Paul. And in fact, many would say this is when the church breaks a barrier. Because it is the first time that they send a missionary team to another place. Now, I know that some of you who read your Bible say, oh, well, who went to Antioch? We don't actually know. We know it was persecuted believers that spread. So individuals that were persecuted went and took the gospel there. We know that Acts 13 is the first of four what are called missionary journeys. And if you've got a Bible like mine, an old book as opposed to a phone, at the back you get four anointed maps as well. And these tell us, where the journeys were. And so what we're going to look at over the next three weeks is what's known as the first missionary journey that Paul makes. And this you could see is a map of suddenly, oh, some of the kind of places that he went. And so you could start thinking, oh, there it was, starts up in Antioch, goes down to Cyprus. What is it? It's about 90 miles, isn't it? They travelled right the length of Cyprus before heading up into Pamphylia and Antioch. Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. We will, you will pick up some of those as we look at this over the next few days. I guess what I think is, when I read this, the early church 
did what God wanted rather than what they wanted. And I think that's a huge challenge for us at the start of a year, at the start of a decade. Do I come to church for what I want or for what God wants? Because when you read a book like this, you suddenly realize, oh, it's, it's a God thing. David Goodhart, he's a British journalist and author, divides our society into two groups. You are called the anywheres or the somewheres. The anywheres are those with high mobility, autonomy, and they surf social change. So you think, which one do I fit in? Basically, if you've been to university, you would be considered an anywhere. Quite easy for you to break out, to go somewhere new, and to do something new. The somewheres are those that prefer security, familiarity, and staying there. He reckoned that of the less educated white community in Britain, three-fifths still live within a 20-mile radius of where they were aged 14. So age 14, they still live within a 20-mile radius because actually they are a somewhere kind of people. Whereas many that have broken out, I'm a Sussex boy by birth, grew up in a small town upfield, but I think, God, Lord, never take me back. I love the city. So I would be considered an anywhere. Now, the challenge for us, the church today, is made up of a huge percentage of anywhere. If I ask for a show of hands, who here still lives within a 20-mile radius of where you were when you were 14? Put your hand up. Great. So let's say 20%. So 80% wouldn't. Now, the challenge when it comes to mission is that if you are an anywhere kind of person... You don't invest where you are because you don't know how long I'm going to be there. And you don't have ties and you don't feel an ownership. And so this whole thing of mission is a challenge. Because you think, who knows? Maybe next year I'll move on. So the 20% that put their hands up go to the top of the class. Because they're the people that think, I'm here. I think, how do we get God to challenge our hearts? Father, as we look at this topic... Let it impact our week. Just as we felt stirred in worship, when we look at you, we want that to change the way we live and behave and relate. God, when we look at your word, we want it to get into us. God, I pray that for me. I suddenly think, golly, how many houses have I lived in? So do I have an attitude, oh, I'm going to be here, make a difference? Or do I think, well, I could be anywhere. I could move next year, year after. God, I pray, give us a heart for where we're living. Give us a heart for a mission. Give us a heart that cares for the people of Ealing. In Jesus' name, amen. I've just got one point today. One point, but I'll take a long time doing it, so don't think it's going to be a short sermon. The one point is this, church on mission. So what do we know? We can find a bit about the church. It's in the first three verses there. We know that it's Antioch, the church that we're going to look at. Antioch, that's a city that's in present-day Turkey. 
It's a location that actually in the Bible becomes almost like the second center for faith. And so if you thought about the New Testament, you think, well, the first center for faith was Jerusalem. Because that's where, you know, Peter was, Acts 1 to 12, and the main church was, and missionaries went out from, and that's where they kept an account of theology. It was Jerusalem. So if you talked about a center of faith, you'd think Jerusalem. But the second most important one was probably Antioch. We know that it was here that the believers were first called Christians. As part of this church, we have prophets and teachers. Again, we know from Acts eleven twenty seven, the first mention of prophets in Acts was in Antioch. A prophet is someone who exhorts, explains, and foretells. A prophet, there's something of the, the wow, the dynamic of God right here. So I think even in our, our time of worship, people have come out and they've shared a picture or a word. And it's, whoa, golly, where, where's that come from? We believe God's done something there. God's stoked something up. And there's also teachers. Teachers are those that systematically lay a biblical basis covering doctrine and how this applies to everyday life. You could say, I am teaching now. So this church here in Antioch has got prophets and teachers. I would like to say that's a big challenge for us. I would like to say that this is a picture of the church that should be around word and spirit. I believe that this is God's word. Why would I throw out a a journal? Because I want you to read the Bible. Read a chapter a day. Share with somebody else. Because this is God's word. Historically, I think we've been strong in the church in this country on the word of God. I think that's why the church as an institution has authority and power and has made statements about the way people live. However, I would like to suggest to you this morning, we are anti the institution. And so actually, we probably prefer the spirit now. Because the spirit, oh, and I felt God tell me. Yeah, but I'm not sure that God would tell you to sleep with someone outside of marriage because the word, oh, no, but he did to me because he says we love each other. Ah, you see, the spirit is about individualism, and we're big on that. Ah, it's almost like, well, I'm going to do what I feel I'm going to do. I feel God says that's okay. You see, the two need to go together. We need the word, and we need the spirit. You see that here in the Bible there. R.T. Kendall, he was a guy who preached the word very powerfully in central London for 25 years. He said this, when we have the word without the spirit, we tend to dry up. Easy to lean into legalism and rules. If we have the spirit without the word, we tend to blow up. If we have the word and spirit, we tend to grow up and be fired up. Each is properly joined in common union. There's an explosive power. And so I'd like to think, come on, as a church, how do we keep fighting? I want to be the word and I want to be the spirit. Which one do you tend to lean towards? Which one? Do, if I'm, I'll just be really honest for a moment. I can find it easier to lean on the word because I think, well, I can keep reading that. Whereas actually when you've got to keep leaning in the spirit, you keep saying, God, what are you saying right here, right now? I can't just do what I did before. Now, some of you might say, oh, God, I love hearing God every day. I struggle to get into my word. We've got to be a church where we have both. We've got to be a church, if we're going to look at this picture in Acts, that is very diverse. 
If you've never been here before, you wouldn't have heard it. If you have, you'd think, oh, here he goes again. There are 172 nationalities in the borough of Ealing. And until we've got 172 in the room, I'm disappointed. Because you look at this team, Barnabas, he was a Levite from Cyprus. Maybe that's why they went to Cyprus first, I don't know. Simon from Niger, called Niger, he was a Hebrew, black African. They think this was the Simon that carried the cross, but I don't want to get sidetracked. Lucius of Cyrene, he was also another North African. Manin, he'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. There's some talk that he was the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch, that he'd actually been fostered into the family because Luke records a lot about the Romans. Uh, but what we do know is he was from a very different background to the others. Saul, he's from Tarsus. They've got this mixed, mixed bag that are united in Christ. The unifying work of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Sin separates. You can read that in the Garden of Eden. As soon as sin comes in, Adam and Eve start fighting, don't they? The kids start fighting. Tower of Babel, you know, there's this separation from sin. And yet when the Holy Spirit comes in Pentecost, the nations come together. Us being a united church, it's got nothing to do with politics. It's to do with kingdom. The church should be the nations together. We should be young and old, black and white, married and single, rich and poor. Because if you look at the church here, that's what it was. Dr. Martin Luther King, I know many of us know him about civil rights, he was a strong believer as well, says, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated. And that any church that stands against integration, that has a segregated body, is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and it fails to be a true witness. I read a book last year called We Need to Talk About Race. We've actually got the author, Ben Lindsay, coming to preach at the church in March, because I'm very committed to us saying, actually, how do we intentionally work together? Some of you would rather talk about the words of Jay-Z, nobody wins when the family feuds. I guess that's really what I'm trying to say. What else do we know about the church? We know that the church was God-focused. What, what are the three words that describe the church? A church that worships, that's when we focus upon God, it's not upon ourselves. A church that prays, that's when we focus upon God and not upon ourselves. And a church that fasts. Fasting, let's be brutally honest, is a negative thing. I'm going out without food because I want something of God. These three things, there's this almost sort of sake of, what kind of church are we? want to be God-focused. I mean, look, I, I love being a part of this church. Nick and I were saying over Christmas, oh, you know, when you sort of step away, you think, oh, God, they are a great bunch, aren't they? I just can't wait to get back in January and feel like we're connected. I can't wait for the meetups to start again and feel like I'm connected with one another. I can't wait for the fact that everyone's not off seeing their family and we can all hang out in evenings and have coffees together. It's great, isn't it, the church? But actually, more than loving one another, we've got to encourage one another to be God-focused. We're not just the sort of multi-group that have come together. We're those that come and say, but God. 
And then the final thing that I was going to say just under what kind of church do we see them are, we see that they're commissioned. There's a call of God. There's a laying on of hands. There's a sending them off. I guess this reminds me very much of Abraham. You know, you could say that God picked him and chose him, called him, sent him, didn't even give him the details necessarily of where he was going, but says, I want you to realize that I've called you to go. And that's true right throughout the Bible. I mean, in fact, when Abraham then gets the promise from God, God says, look, I love you and I'm for you. And actually, I want you to bless the nations. And that's true of the first disciples. When Jesus gathers the first disciples and he says, I said, I want you to come and be with me. Why? So that you can be fishers of men. I want you to come so that you can go. David Livingstone, he was... Um, a pioneer into Africa, said God, only had, God, had only son, God had an only son and he made him a missionary. Oh, that's fascinating, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? Could have made him anything else. He made him a missionary. So if we understand something of church as we go into 2020, the church is to be a place of the word and the spirit. It's to be diverse. It's to be God-focused and it's to be commissioned. There you go, I've got four sub-points under my one point, and I'm only halfway through my first point. But I've only got one point this morning. Church on mission. So let's have a quick look at the mission. This, as I said, was the first missionary journey. And in fact, if we, if we had time to look through the whole missionary journey, which we will over the three weeks, we know that they speak to individuals and they speak to crowds. We know they speak to Jews and we know they speak to Gentiles. We know they speak to the religious and they speak to the irreligious. We know they speak to the educated and the uneducated. We know they speak to the friendly and to the hostile. This is a, a pumping mission trip. We know it starts in Cyprus. Cyprus was known for shipbuilding, copper mills, and nicknamed the Happy Island. Paphos worshipped the God of love. So we know that was the context that they were going into. We know that they went as a team. It says, doesn't it, Barnabas and Saul. You see, mission's not something we do on our own. Sometimes the danger is even when we think about, oh, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. I read somewhere that it's still our national, our most active sport in this country. Yeah, well, not active. <laughs> Inactive, active sport. You know what I'm saying? More people probably fish than anything else. But let's be brutally honest, people do it alone. And the danger is that we end up thinking like that as Christians. We think, well, if I'm called on mission, I've got to do it on my own. Whereas actually, biblically, it was always done in a team with nets. And so it's much more, oh, actually, how do we do this together? How do I involve other people? Hey, you know that family. I know that family. Let's all go out together. Hey, you know that person who works in that industry. I know that person. Let's all have a beer together. There's a sense of team. I guess challenging. There was a sense of opposition. The disciples don't have it easy. I mean, literally, in this first story in Cyprus, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they tell two stories, don't they? One of them basically wants to have a go at them. I guess if we forget we're called, we get put off when there's a challenge. I guess the danger is even as we rush into 2020, if we think, oh, it's just going to be all ease for me. It's just going to go my way. If you look at the... The church in the New Testament, it was a challenge. Oh, wow, how is this going to work out? 
Again, I love it, and uh, I'm out of time already. The way they went was the way they did church. So the way they went was word and spirit. The two people they speak to, one is this intellectual guy that obviously wants them to, to dialogue and talk about. The other one basically just wants some encounter with God. The way we do church is meant to flow into life. I think there's so many things you just reflect on. I think, golly, we should have done the whole series just on this first little passage. I'll tell you why. Because the gospel is not sharing an opinion. The gospel is not about there to make the lives better. The gospel is there to transform. And I sometimes think our danger is that we think we take the gospel when we share an opinion. We sometimes think we've taken the gospel when we just want to improve somebody's life. Whereas actually, if you look at this, the gospel is a total transformation. How do we turn things around? It's still my one point. I'm just trying to give us some flesh to it. I think that actually if we're going on mission, we have to go in humility. I don't know if you pick up, but it's in this passage here, this first trip, that the name change happens. Oh, so what happens? Oh, it's Barnabas. It's Barnabas and Saul, isn't it? Oh, no, it's not. It's Paul and Barnabas. That was not just because they had a, a Twitter name that went better. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Paul and Barnabas couldn't get the other one. Sorry, let's just swap the names around. That was to do with leadership. That was to do with one that took initiative, actually thinking, look, I need to humbly submit to somebody else. If we're going to be a church on mission, we've got to learn something about humility. Harry Truman, the American president, said, we can do anything as long as we don't worry about who gets the credit. I think I'll challenge so often as you think, oh, no, no. Yeah, I'd like to get the credit. I think we can learn something about mission here from commitment. This is the, the time where Saul changes his name. We, we don't hear about Saul again after Acts 13. We heard about him on the road to Damascus. We heard about him, you know, he suddenly has this life countering change. But now suddenly it's no longer Saul, it's Paul. Now, many would say that's because Saul was a Jewish name and he was really committed to going to the Gentiles. And therefore, it's almost like he dropped this Saul and he went to Paul. And he was so committed that he wanted to reach people, he thought, look, I'm happy to change my name. If that makes it easier for you to hear what I've got to say, that was his commitment and his intentionality. So I suddenly think, golly, what have I got to give up so that I could tell other people this amazing news that I've heard? We know that they go in power and grace. I've never been instructed on how to share the gospel by saying to someone, you son of the devil, you can't see anymore. <laughs> you know, sometimes you think, oh, that seems rather abrupt. <laughs> Actually, I think it was a moment of grace. Because the last time that happened was to Paul. He had an encounter with God which meant he was temporarily blinded, which meant he had to be led so that God could come in his grace and save him. And I wonder if that is true of this character here. It's not that he's there to judge, but actually it's almost like he says, you would temporarily have blindness. It even says in the passage that he was then led. Such a picture. And it's almost like Paul saying, I long for you to have what I have. And if you have to endure this to get it, take it. 
And you could think, oh, God, that seems really harsh. But actually, it was out of grace because he wanted him to know the Savior that he knew. What else do we find out about mission? The reality is, a little aside, did this guy get saved, yes or no? Let's, let's just have a quick look. What do we think about that? When the pro-council saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching. Who thinks he gets saved? Pop your hand up. Oh, who thinks it's a trick question and the pastor's trying to trip you up? <laughs> yeah, because people aren't getting very active, are they? So commentators have, have disagreed over this. I would read it and say, yeah, he got saved. He believed. And some said, well, I'm not sure if he did. Because he doesn't get baptised. And they would all say in scripture, salvation is repentance and baptism. Just slip in that plug for the 26th of January, <laughs> if you're still thinking about it. But I believe that there was salvation. I believe actually what you get here is one guy that it's almost like he's going to think about it. And then you've got this other guy that actually, he responds. I went to a crossover service for New Year. Amazing, you know, I mean, there must have been this choir, I don't know how many people, 20 of them going on the stage, these lights. I, I, I mean, I wasn't responsible for it, so I wasn't officially doing the count. But when I looked behind me, I reckon there was 2,500 people at this prayer meeting for New Year's Eve. I lost count. There must have been like 20 that stood for salvation that night. And I just thought, oh God, I want to believe for people to come into knowing you personally this year. Because I think that's what mission's about. Hey, look, mission is the fact that I have people around for lunch. Mission is the fact that I'm generous at work or whatever. Mission surely is the fact that people come to know God personally. Rick Warren says, through salvation, our past has been forgiven, our present is given meaning, and our future is secured. And I think that is surely what this is all about. This really is the challenge that I want to bring to us. As we talk again about love healing, it's not our idea, it's God's. Oh yeah, in the month of January, what are we going to do? Hey, we are church on mission. I love the fact last year that people were out carol singing. I love the fact people went to old people's homes. I love the fact people were inviting neighbours around. I know people have already got ideas that they're doing for love healing for this month. Why? Because honestly, I believe... We look at this. We are to be a church on mission. So I've got one thing I want to pray for you this morning. Faith. I just felt this one question when I was preparing. Have you lost faith for the church or have you lost faith for mission? And if you're brutally honest, you might have got to the end of 2019 and you might think, you know what, Pete, I used to sit at the front. I sit further back now because I'm just losing faith for the church. Or you might think, oh, look, I've prayed and prayed and I feel like my friends haven't come on Alpha yet. Well, they've never wanted to come to church. I've lost faith that they're going to change. I feel God would want to challenge us as we start this new year. Will we believe God? Will we come forward in faith? I'm not here to embarrass, and the reality is if I ask some of you to stand, you probably wouldn't have enough faith to stand if you're in that kind of place. I would just encourage you, just sit where you are. And if you think, God, I want more faith for the church, I want more faith for mission, just put your hands out where you're sat. 
God sees your heart. God, at the start of this year, at the start of this decade, I pray that you'd give us faith. Faith, O oh God, to believe for a church that's radical in inclusivity. Faith, O oh God, for a church that's full of the Word and the Spirit. Faith, O oh God, that we're a church that hears where you've called us to go. Lord, I pray you give us faith as we pray a blessing over those we meet this week. Father, I pray you, you give us faith, O oh God, as we ask questions and listen to friends, as we get to know one another, as we share our stories with others. Oh God, let faith rise. Lord, even in the busyness of this last season that we've just had, we pray you'd breathe upon faith this morning. When I got up this morning, go to have a shower, there's no hot water. Heating's not working. Go and look at the boiler, discovered, I don't know why, but it's, it's low on pressure. Turned one tap, pressure fills up, suddenly it's going again. And I just feel, there's some people this morning, you feel like, it won't quite fire up for me at the start of 2020. And I literally feel that this moment, God wants to open that tap. And he wants to pour into you. The gospel is not about what you do. It's not about you trying harder. The gospel is him transforming you. Him capturing your heart. So Father, we do. We, we, we want to say, God, let your faith flood through us now. Maybe that you're here this morning and you think, I've never believed. You know, I, I don't know why I'm at church. I've come with a friend. I came at Christmas. I thought I'd come back. New Year, I thought I'd try something new. You might say, Pete, I wouldn't describe myself as believing at all. I'd just like to pray this prayer. And at the end, you could say, Amen. You say, I agree. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Saviour. If you've prayed that, We'd love you to speak to the prayer team at the end to share with someone, hey, I prayed that. Now we're going to take the bread and the cup together. We do this because it reminds us. 
Church on mission is not a mandate, it's a joy. <laughs> Church on mission is not, oh golly, is this what I've got to do? Just to get my name into some book? No, no, it's a joy. When you realize that Jesus Christ broke his body for you, when you realize that Jesus Christ poured out his blood for you on that cross, Oh, oh, I've never known such love. Can't help but talk about it. Ah, Church on mission, is that another to-do thing? No, this is an overflow of the joy of what Christ has done for us. And so if you follow Jesus, we'd encourage you to take this. You say, yeah, Jesus, I'm trusting you. And literally take the bread and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Take the cup, symbolic of his blood. Thank you, Jesus for what you did for me and just to receive and at the start of this year thank Jesus for what he has done for you